Bibles this morning, uh, if you would, and open up to Luke chapter 1. Oh, yes, and uh, the children should be dismissed at Children's Church. Uh, thank you, Lorna, uh, for doing that. Um, take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 1, uh, and we'll be reading verses 57 down through the end uh, of verse 80, and this is about John the Baptist uh, and his birth. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy on her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring him what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up their hearts, saying, uh, And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, uh, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's begin this morning just with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just ask this morning that you would speak to us from your word, uh, that you would have a message for us. We know and trust that it is your word, but but we ask that your spirit would be here and our hearts would be uh, attentive, uh, that we would marvel at your first coming and even look for your second coming and delight in all that you've done. Lord, remind us of the greatness and the abundance of the mercy that you have shown us. In your name we pray. Amen. I want you this morning, we start, I want to start by uh, getting you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine for a minute that, that we are living in France during World War II before the Allies invaded, before they came back to liberate uh, France. And I'm sure you could, if you put your imagination to it, you could imagine uh, the fear 
Imagine not knowing exactly when your liberation was going to come, the, the deliverance. You know it's there. You know it's, it's at hand. You know that the, the allies are beginning to amass an army, or at least you hope the rumors are true that they are doing this, but you're waiting. And perhaps even in the evenings, you're, you're gathering around the radio and you're listening to radio messages coming from London in French and, and you're listening for those codes, those codes that are telling you the time is at hand, get ready. And maybe even you're here from some of the resistance as they sneak out at night to, to bomb some uh, railroad tracks. And you're wondering, is, is this the night the Allies are coming back? And you can almost, you can almost um, feel the weightiness of the moment. Uh, sitting there in anticipation. You have waited for this for months and, and maybe even a few years. And it's at hand. But when is it coming? When's it finally going to happen? This is almost like the situation that we find ourselves in with the coming of John the Baptist. We find it in Zacharias that, that, that the moment is at hand. And John the Baptist is here, the, the last great prophet who will prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And, and you can imagine the, the people of Israel have been in bondage in, in one form or another for over a hundred or more years. They had been in Babylon and they were released from captivity in Babylon. But even when they came back, the, the temple was never restored to that glory that had in Solomon's age. They never felt the, the presence of the Lord in the same degree that they had in the past. And then after Malachi, the last prophet, uh, gives his message, there is 400 years of silence and there are enemies that come in. There are the, the Greeks and Alexander the Great. And then most recently, there were the Romans that came in and at various times prohibiting the freedom of, of worshiping God. And you're for hundreds of years crying out saying, Lord, when are you going to keep the promises that you made? We know you made these promises. We know you are a God who keeps his word. When will this time be at hand? And then Elizabeth hearing that she is going to have a child. And Mary hearing that she is going to give the virgin birth. And then we go and John the Baptist, the first child uh, of Elizabeth, is, is born. And Zechariah gives us this wonderful prophecy. Now is the time. It is, it is, we are at the edge of our seat because this moment is happening. I think one of the things that happens kind of for us is we come every year and celebrate Christmas. And there's a danger that it becomes familiar. There's a danger that it becomes sort of old hat. We know these Bible stories, but we forget the, the weightiness of them, the significance of them, the, the abundance of God's mercy that He is finally revealing. We know that, that God has been merciful down through all of the, the ages and all of the Old Testament stories and prophecies. But now is the moment where he brings this finally to this great climax. He's going to do it finally. Our main point this morning is that the Lord has come as promised. 
The Lord has come as promised. And put yourself in those shoes of waiting for that promise for hundreds of years. Being told by your father or your grandfather these great Bible stories of the Old Testament and then hearing God will one day send a Messiah and wondering, will it be in my lifetime? And then maybe even growing old and passing those stories on to your grandchildren saying, will the Messiah come in our age? And now, Zechariah saying, we are here. We forget the weightiness that the Lord has come as promised. So first this morning, the Lord comes because He hears the cries of His people. At at Christmas, most of all, we need to remember the abundance of the mercy of God. How deep His compassion, that He hears the cries of His people, that He comes because we really do need a Savior. Look at verse 68. Zechariah then, he'll bless the Lord because the Lord is coming to save his people. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has visited and redeemed his people. Jesus Christ is coming. God is visiting. He is coming down so that we have Emmanuel, God with us. Because he hears the cries of his people. This language of visiting and redeeming, it it comes out of, uh, it it comes from someone who is just saturated, as Zechariah is, in biblical language and biblical categories of thinking. And, And so there's an echo here from the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3, the Lord appears to Moses and he says, Surely I have seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and who have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. I have come down to deliver them. Or we could say I've come down to redeem them out of the hand of Egypt and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. A little later on in Exodus chapter 431, it says, The people believed, the people of Israel, when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their afflictions, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Zechariah is, is bowing his head and worshipping because he knows that God is a God who hears what his people are going through, and he visits. Meaning he comes down and manifests himself in real ways to to save people, to redeem people, to have mercy and compassion. God does not turn a blind eye to the hurts of his people. He does not plug his ear to their cries for help and pleas for mercy. That is just as much true to us today as it was in Zechariah's day and as it was in the days of Moses. God does not turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to the pleas of His people for mercy, to the cries for help, to the cries for forgiveness, to the longings in the midst of our trials. One of the things that we need to remember is that the God who reveals Himself in the New Testament 
is the same God who revealed himself down through the ages in what we have recorded in the Old Testament. And God has one giant plan throughout Scripture and throughout his plan for the world. He is bringing this plan, revealing it along the way through the Old Testament, but he acts in ways that are always consistent with his character. You can bank on the character of God. Zechariah can take these prayers and he can say, I know that God is merciful. He's visited and redeemed his people. And now here is my son, John the Baptist, and he is going to prepare the way of the Lord for doing the same thing. And that will be the climax of God's plan of redemption, salvation in Jesus Christ, the suffering servant. But in the same way, the God who we worship today is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Zechariah, the God who revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ, and his character has the same consistency now as it had then. He hears the cry of his people when they ask for mercy. We shouldn't be surprised that God's people then in the New Testament reflect on and draw on from what God has done in the past. Zechariah believes that God is sending the Messiah. Look at verses 69 and 70. You have raised up a horn of salvation for for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. Now, I'm not going to take you through all of the Old Testament prophecies that talk about Christ. We could be here uh, for the whole rest of the year uh, doing that. But take my word for it uh, and read your Old Testament. There are a lot there. Uh, the biggest one is that, there, that, that David will have a house and a line of kings, and from that will be the anointed one who comes, the Messiah. And, and this Messiah will be exalted, and he will reign forever. And we see this in Second Samuel, but we see it also reflected in the Psalms. And so we have this language of the horn of salvation, Psalm 132, verse 17 There I will make a horn to sprout for David and prepare a lamp for the anointed. Uh, 1 Samuel 2.10, we read this last week. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Again, against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge uh, the ends of the earth. He will give his strength to the king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Uh, Now, when I first read this in Luke, and saw horn of salvation, I was thinking right away like trumpets, like, you know, the horn. And I thought, well, maybe this symbolizes victory and coming. Uh, I looked into it, and I actually read a commentary, uh, and then looked back into some of this Old Testament use of the the horn of salvation and God having a horn. We're we're talking horns like like on an ox, okay? So picture a a big and mighty beast, like, like one of these massive, bulls in the field and and he's got these long horns you ever see the ones on the longhorn cattle and and he goes down and he just starts snorting and he starts stomping his feet and and he starts charging you it's it's a horn of strength 
it's a horn of might and power. And just like a, a mighty beast has horns, uh, the Lord has this mighty horn of salvation, this, this strength and, and power. Think of those. You ever see on the, the National Geographic, uh, you ever see those rams that have those big horns that curl around? Have you ever seen two of them just go at it? Maybe not in real life, but just on the top. I mean, man, you do, you do not want to get in the way of those guys. You're, I'm not going to, you know, put my head down, put a football helmet on and put my head down. and Okay, let's go. Uh, these guys have horns of, of triumph and majesty and power, and they can, they can protect their, their young and fight for their um, woman or what, whatever we call it in the animal kingdom. Uh, and, 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 and this is the imagery. That, that God has this horn of salvation and, and he is going to, to take David, this, this little tiny shepherd boy who comes from a large family and David is the puniest kid in, in all the family and he is going to make this guy a king and then he is going to raise up from him this little tiny kid who all he did was watch the tiny little sheep and he is going to make this guy mighty. And from David's descendants will come Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus will be this mighty king. This great horn of salvation is raised up. And God accomplishes this. Uh, part of this language comes throughout Scripture. Deuteronomy 33, a firstborn bull. He has majesty and his horns are horns of the wild ox. That's how I know it's, more, it's not the trumpet. It's, it's big horns. Uh, God is described as having a horn of salvation. So David in, in Psalm 18 prays. He says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God and my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation. Uh, it's also repeated in 2 Samuel 22 as well. God has this horn of salvation and he's giving it in sending his son, raising him up, that, that Jesus comes not in the full glory of God that he has, but in this, as this humble baby with the glory veiled. But God is going to raise up Jesus who can die on the cross for us to accomplish this great victory. This is the horn of salvation. So that the Lord then delivers us from our enemies. Look at verse 71. That we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. Verse 74. That we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. David prays this as well. Psalm 18, 17. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were mighty for me. They, comforted, uh, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. God, over and over and over in Scripture, rescues his people. Now, the situation of our rescue might not be exactly like David. David is oftentimes surrounded by physical enemies, armies uh, uh, coming in on him. At one point, you know, Saul is chasing him and David is hiding and he's praying and crying out. And, and it's a very trying time. It's emotionally stressful. Uh, oftentimes, 
the Psalms use that as a picture of a greater redemption, of a greater salvation, of, of greater enemies, greater than just nations that David had at his time. We have Satan and the evil ones. We need a rescue from our, our slavery to sin, which is, which is greater than the rescue that, that Israel needed in their slavery to the Egyptians. But there's parallels here. That, that some of these things in the Old Testament pointed to the great and ultimate salvation. God rescues us from our enemies. God cares for us in our trials, in our life. You might not ever be holed up in your house surrounded by an army that wants to come in and, and vanquish you like David was. But I am sure we have all felt the same types of pressures and stresses and maybe not literally quite that life and death, but worry about family or events or things that are happening or worried about salvation of a loved one or maybe even our own salvation or struggling with a sin that weighs us down. In all of these things, the God who rescued David, the God who brought the horn of salvation as Zechariah is prophesying, is the same God who delivers us through the Lord Jesus Christ. God keeps His covenant promises. Uh, I almost didn't preach this section of Zechariah today because I thought all the themes that are in here are the exact same ones we looked at last week. Uh, I almost skipped it, and, and for shame on me for thinking about doing that. I was going to jump right to the birth of Jesus. But you look at this and you say, wow, we need to be reminded in our difficulties, in our trials, that God always keeps His promises. Now, we need to be careful, obviously, in our day and age that we don't, pretend, we don't make certain things promises that, that aren't promises, some preachers will tell you, you know, God wants you to be rich, just pray for it. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, just pray for it and you'll have it. God's promised to give you anything you ask for, uh, so just ask to win the lottery and you'll have it. Uh, that is not what we're talking about. But God makes promises of salvation. God makes promises to hear our cries. And sometimes he doesn't remove the trial right away, but he certainly brings us comfort through it. He certainly walks with us. That, that idea in the Psalms that, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That no matter what happens to you, nothing can cut you off from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. When God makes that sort of promise, He keeps that promise. And he keeps it down through the ages. You have to remember how, how Zechariah would be feeling here. God is finally keeping his promise. Waiting for hundreds of years. There have been times in my life where I've prayed for something. And I've prayed and felt like God wasn't hearing. I didn't get the answer that week. I didn't get the answer that month. A year or two later, I finally got the answer. And after, when, when you're going through that, when you're coming up to that, you, you, you can look and you can get really discouraged and you can be really downtrodden and you can start to be like 
you know, God, you're, you're just not hearing my prayers. And, and if I'm totally honest with myself, I become like that cranky little child. I want it now. Where is it? Why aren't you hearing it, God? Aren't you, don't you keep promises? Why can't you do for me what you did all those times in the Old Testament? And then a year or two or maybe even longer later, God answers the prayer. And sometimes you almost forgot that you'd been praying for it. And you just kind of were at peace with fine, whatever God wants, he'll he'll let happen. And then all of a sudden he answers your prayer. And then I tell you, you feel really stupid. At least I do. If, If you don't, that's fine. But I feel really stupid because I doubted the promises of God. Because time for me is so little. A month seems like a long time. At least when I was a kid, anyways, a month seemed like a long time. Summer vacation lasted forever, three whole months. And as you get older, time just has less and less. It seems less longer, right? You Probably for some of you, just yesterday, your kids were little. Or just yesterday, you were little. Or just yesterday, you were learning to drive or whatever it might be. God lives eternally. And he is not slow in keeping his promises as some of us count slowness. But if as we get older, time seems to be shorter, years seem to be not nearly as long as they used to be, how much more for God who lives in eternity? That we think he's being slow and not hearing us and he's not having compassion. Israel was in slavery for 400 years till God redeemed them. And he wasn't slow in hearing their cries. When you are going through a trial, remember the promises of God and do not think that he is slow in keeping them because it's taking a month or weeks or years. Or maybe even in this life you don't see the answer. But God hears your prayers. And even if he doesn't answer it the way that we want, we're supposed to be praying according to his will. And he is that good and gracious parent who has compassion. Hearing, well, let me use maybe an illustration. Did you ever have have one of your children, and I'm getting to this age where the kids are starting to think this way, and, and they They want to talk to you more on on kind of an older level, not quite adults yet, not quite teenagers. But but then they they want to present their case, make their arguments. And and you listen to them and you you hear them, but you don't agree with them. And, And so they start to say, well, you don't hear me. You're not listening to me. Well, no, I am listening to you. I just I just know a little more. I know better. We need to treat God, I think, the same way that not, not assuming because we're not getting what we want. He doesn't hear us or have compassion, but he has a much broader understanding, a much bigger plan for things. There have been times where I've asked God, take this away. I don't want it. Just like Paul, you know, take this thorn of the flesh away. And what did God say to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And then you look back and you say, you know what? God taught me something through that. I wanted him to take it away, but he let me endure through it. And in the end, that was better. God hearing us and having compassion doesn't always look like what we think it will look like going in. But God comes and delivers his people. Our greatest enemy 
is sin, death, the evil one. We sang in, in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that death's dark shadow be put to flight. We should, we should want death to be destroyed. We should want the evil one to be vanquished. You know, we read some of these psalms in our, our scripture reading, and, and, and sometimes, and I even do this myself, you, you see this prayer against enemies, and you go, what do I do with that verse? But we do have enemies. Now, we should be loving our enemies, our human enemies we should show compassion to. But when it comes to things like Satan, when it comes to things like, like demons and the evil one and, and death, that is a, death is a real enemy. It's the curse upon creation. And we should want that destroyed. That wasn't God's plan for creation. We should look forward to the coming of the Lord and the resurrection. But God in his first coming, in Jesus Christ, came to vanquish this enemy, to deal with it. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We are subject to slavery. Scripture describes us as being enslaved to sin, Ephesians chapter 2 says that we once walked according to the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of disobedience that is now at work amongst the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Like the Israelites in the Exodus generations, we were in slavery. Slavery to sin, bondage. Satan's called the God of this age who, who blinds the hearts of men in unbelief. I have, on the one hand, my own sin that keeps me in darkness, but I have Satan, and he needs to be defeated and destroyed. And this is why Jesus comes. Remember that this morning. Christmas is an God's operation freedom, his his invasion, if you will, his landing on the beachhead of of earth to establish the reign of Jesus Christ and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Jesus came just as was promised. Second, this morning, the Lord comes by preparing his way through John the Baptist. I have a little bit less to say about this, but I want to share some Old Testament passages. First, you have Zechariah knows who John the Baptist is. He's preparing the way of the Lord. Verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. This is an echo of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 says this, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Hear the cry of her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord uh, the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert the highway for our God. And then Isaiah 40 verse 5, The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
and in Mark and Matthew's gospel, as John begins his ministry, uh, both the authors point out how this scripture is being fulfilled. Zechariah knew this. The Lord is coming. And if the Lord is coming, the Lord is sending his advanced messenger. He's like the the paratrooper on D-Day who dropped in behind enemy lines to, to seize some bridges and let everybody know the allies are coming. He goes out, John the Baptist, and he prepares the way of the Lord. He, he tells people, you need to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. The Lord is on His way. We will see His glory. Get your heart ready. So John the Baptist is going to announce the coming salvation. Look at verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. John's message. Turn. Repent. Prepare yourself. Jesus is coming. It was a gospel message. John goes to the nation of Israel and begins preaching the gospel even before Jesus comes and preaches the gospel One of the great travesties is there are people that think that that the message that John and Jesus were preaching before the cross is different than the message that Jesus and Paul preach after the cross. Scripture has one way of salvation. Scripture has one plan of God that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and there always is one gospel that is being preached. And so he's telling the people, be ready. Ask for forgiveness of sins. Humble your heart. We're going to see Jesus. The forgiveness is at hand. Do you know it? The same is true today. There is only one way of salvation. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. Now we might not have the same role that John the Baptist has had Uh, I'm not telling any of you that we should go out and wear camel's hair. Uh, John had this camel's hair uh, vest and this belt, and he ate locusts. And we don't need to do that to prepare the way of the Lord. But we should be, like John the Baptist, sharing the message. There is forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. We live in a day in particular where people don't believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And it is just as much the truth now as it was in John's day. They looked forward to Jesus' coming because this was the only horn of salvation that God was going to bring. But it's the one he promised. We need to tell people about how wonderful and great our God is. That he brought this mighty horn of salvation, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet... When Jesus came, he didn't have strength and power. He was this tiny little baby. It is so easy in our day and age to get distracted at Christmas. Even sometimes we complain about the, you know, people forgetting the true meaning of Christmas. But rather than complaining about it, We should prepare the way of the Lord. Talk to people about it. Imagine if John went through the land and and was just grumbling and complaining. Well, no one knows that Jesus is coming. No one knows that Christmas is at hand. 
much like we today. Nobody knows the true meaning of Christmas anymore. Uh, on the internet, I don't know how much it made it actually into the real world, but there, uh, Starbucks this year released these red coffee cups. Just a nice Christmas red had their green logo. And there were some, I don't know if it was big or if people just latched onto it and it made the news and whatnot, but there, people were complaining, there's no Christmas message on the coffee cup. <laughs> really? It's a nice red Christmas cup and you're, you're upset that there's no Christmas verse? First off, Starbucks isn't even a Christian company or Christian owners. Second, if people need to know about these things, we're the ones that need to tell them to prepare their hearts to accept the Lord Jesus Christ so that Jesus can come into them. Just as God used the messenger of John the Baptist to prepare people's hearts, God uses us, the messenger, so that Jesus can come into their hearts as well. And then lastly this morning, the Lord comes so that in Jesus Christ can be found uh, uh, peace or light and peace. God comes because of his mercy. Look at verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Remember last week I pointed out, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I said, we have this verse we sing, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. This language here Zach, comes from Zechariah, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. It's from Malachi chapter 4. But for you who fear the name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, shall rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Did you ever see uh, a baby calf born? When I was a kid, I remember we went down to the farm one time to see the calf born. And, and within minutes of being born, they, they get up on their legs and are able to, to, to drink milk right from their mother. But right away, they're skittish and they can jump around. And it's not very long until they're able to, to run. It's not like human child, uh, children where, where it takes a year or so. There's this instant joy is the idea. It's this, this picture. And the reason it uses sun, S-U-N, and not sun, S-O-N, it's this picture of, of just how the sun rises and you see this shining light of glory. God's glory visits his people in the coming of Jesus. The eternal son of God who radiated the glory. Scripture says he is the exact radiance of his uh, nature or the exact representation of his nature. The the radiance of his glory in Hebrews chapter 1 comes in Jesus Christ. Why does he come? Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet to the way of peace. Peace with God is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John's Gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus also says, I am the light of the world. There's a lot of places in Scripture this word peace comes up. Romans and Isaiah tell us, and and Romans is actually quoting Isaiah, 
that the wicked, it says, the way of peace, they do not know. Isaiah 57:21. there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The message of the gospel, how beautiful are upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who publish peace. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him. The chastisement that brought us peace upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Therefore, Romans 5, 1, those who have been justified by faith, in other words, those who have been declared righteous by receiving Jesus through faith, we have peace with God. We need real hope and peace, particularly in the Christmas season. And this is found only in Jesus. Sometimes when our world talks about peace and peace during the holidays, they, they think only in terms of human, the human realm. Peace can become sort of a, a psychological concept, a, a I'm not crazy, an, an inner peace of everything is calm. Peace, you think of peace in the family, that it's all serene. Peace in the world, that there isn't war. The ultimate peace that we need is first and foremost peace with God. That our sin makes us an enemy of God, makes us worthy of judgment. The wrath of God is upon us and will stay upon us. But God, who loves us and has mercy, sends His Son to turn that wrath away so that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now have peace. It's like a divine heavenly peace treaty that is given. God opens our eyes. We see the light of the gospel. We see how wonderful it is. We, we come to understand the truth rather than being in darkness. And when we believe, God puts us peace with him that peace with him will lead to peace in our life and our relationships as the outworking of salvation over and over again in the psalms david and other psalmists describe when they had sin that they did not confess their their body was aching their spirits and hearts were in turmoil they lacked inner peace But when we have peace with God, He works that inner peace in us. He helps us to to be peaceable to others, to have peace in our relationships. But peace is not accomplished unless the Lord came at Christmas. And peace is not accomplished in your heart unless the Lord has come into your heart where you've received Him by faith. The Lord offers mercy. The Lord offers grace. And He offers peace. And even if you are here as a Christian today and you are going through something and you don't have peace about something, maybe it's a sin that God is regularly convicting you on. Maybe it is a relationship with a friend or a family member or a co-worker. Peace is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and following Him, confessing your sins, going to a loved one and confessing maybe where you've wronged them or could have had a better attitude. 
But peace is something that only Jesus Christ can work out. And he has to come into our lives to do that. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would give us peace this Christmas. That we would have the comfort of peace in our hearts, of knowing the forgiveness of sins. That that is a tremendous blessing, that if the Lord Jesus Christ would not have come as a man, in, a, in the manger, would not have grown up and died on the cross and rose again from the dead, there would be no hope. There would be no peace. We also, Lord, look forward to the day where you return and you establish your kingdom in peace. And there is a peace that will transcend uh, all of your creation. We thank you for that. Lord, make us like John the Baptist, faithful witnesses, telling others about the forgiveness of sins, the coming of the Lord, of what you have done. In your name we pray. Amen.